Hey everyone, I'm Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for checking out this week's podcast. I hope that it encourages you and inspires you, and I hope that you have some community around you to talk through these truths and concepts with. If you don't have community like that, we would love to invite you to be a part of Restore. You can get all the information about our church at restoreaustin.org. We would love to see you soon at one of our Sunday gatherings, and we hope you enjoy this week's podcast. You know, it's... uh it's been an, an interesting few years to be a Christian in America. It's been a tough few years to be a Christian in America. And I'm not saying that because we're being persecuted, um, because we aren't. Persecuting of Christians is really real. Um, it's just not happening with any significance here in the United States. According to an organization that supports persecuted Christians around the world called Open Doors USA, about 13 Christians are killed every day for their faith. The vast majority of those are happening in what they call the top 10 worst persecuting countries. North Korea is number one, followed by Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Eritrea, Yemen, Iran, Nigeria, and finally India. I actually personally know Many pastors in India who've been beaten up, who've been run out of their home villages multiple times because of their faith. That's real persecution, and that should move us to action on behalf of those who are experiencing it. That's why we as a church actually support Christians in many of those countries through our partnerships with indigenous organizations doing great work on the ground. Many of those pastors in India I talked about, encouraging them, sending them resources, finances, things like that, so that they can continue to do the work of Jesus in those difficult places. But that's just not what's happening here. America. So when you hear an American Christian cry persecution, maybe because their barista said happy holidays, or because the awards shows are snubbing God's Not Dead 4, remember what is actually happening around the world and consider politely informing them that we are not, in fact, being persecuted here. But that does not change my original point. It's tough to be a Christian in America. Not because of persecution, but listen, because so many representations of Christianity in our country are completely devoid of Jesus Christ. That's why it's been difficult to be a Christian. I could provide a really long list of examples, but we don't have time for that today. So I just want to talk about one personal one, one that hit me really hard recently. That was January 6th, 2021. So on that day, in case you missed it, a group of violent insurrectionists stormed the U.S. Capitol. Now, I want to say most of us didn't hear about this secondhand, right? Most of us watched this live on television. We watched it happen. We saw people carrying nooses, wearing Nazi t-shirts, carrying Confederate flags. And storming the Capitol right alongside them were these folks. Jesus saves, and God we trust. Another Jesus saves, and then my favorite guy down here, hold the line, patriots, God wins. That guy is actually better known as the QAnon shaman. He would go on to lead a prayer time in the Senate chamber. Here's what that looked like. You can find video of it. He's there with the megaphone on the left, kind of behind the dais. In that prayer, he said, thank you. 
Divine, omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent creator God, fulfilling this chamber with your white light and love, your white light of harmony. Thank you for filling this chamber with patriots that love you and love Christ. Thank you for allowing us to get rid of the communists, the globalists, and the traitors within our government. We love and we thank you in Christ's holy name, we pray. And the group of people in the middle of committing a litany of felonies all together said, Amen. Just this week, the House Committee investigating January 6th began hearing from police officers on the ground who were there. A D.C. Metro police officer named Daniel Hodges said this in his testimony, It was clear the terrorists perceived themselves to be Christians. I saw the Christian flag directly to my front, another sign that read, Jesus is my Savior, and another sign that read, Jesus is King. That was his testimony. And as I watched... Christians violently storming the Capitol in the name of Jesus on January 6th. And as I've watched Christians defend these actions over the last six months, there have been many times when I have said to myself, if this is what it means to be a Christian, I don't want to be one anymore. If that's what it means to be a Christian, if that's what Christians do and what they look like and what they act like, I don't want to be a Christian anymore. And I know that I'm not alone in this. You see, since moving back here to Austin six years ago to start Restore, I bet I've heard some version of that sentence hundreds of times. Hundreds of times. I've heard people say it because they got called a Marxist for posting on social media about the church's need to pursue justice. I've heard people say it in response to being ridiculed for struggling through doubts about faith. I've heard people say it after they were silenced for trying to call attention to abuse happening within churches and church leadership. I've heard people say it after being told that much of science is fundamentally incongruent with Christianity. I've heard people say it because they were called an abomination by their pastor or their parents when they came out of the closet. I've heard people say it. I've heard people say it after being told that they're going to hell because they dared to question a traditional teaching on gender roles. I've heard people say it after being told they can't be a Christian unless they vote a certain way or they belong to the right political party. If this is what it means to be a Christian, I don't want to be one anymore. It breaks, it breaks my heart. Many of us are struggling to align ourselves with Christianity, not because we find its moral demands too arduous or its doctrine outlandish, but because many of the Christians we encounter are so unlike Christ. As Frederick Douglass famously declared, I love the pure, peaceable, impartial Christianity of Christ, but between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the widest possible difference. But with all of that being said, I'm still a Christian. As the old hymn goes, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And when I tell people that, when I tell people that despite it all, I am still committed to this historic faith of Christianity, when I tell people that, especially those who have experienced deep wounding at the hands of Christians, the most common response I get is, why though? Why? So today I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you why I'm still a Christian. And I'm going to start with a fairly simple explanation that I'm going to spend the rest of our time together digging into Scripture 
and really talking about this Christian thing. So simply put, I'm still a Christian because I believe life is found in Jesus. I'm still a Christian. I'm still a pastor because I still believe that life is found in Jesus. Now, I didn't make this up on my own. That's not clever language from me. This is how Jesus explained why he became human and made his home among us. John 10.10, he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. An abundant life, both now and forever, is the promise of Jesus for anyone and everyone who desires to follow him. Now, I want to be clear, this is not a promise of material wealth. It's not a promise of favorable outcomes. It is a promise of joy, hope, peace, beauty, forgiveness, and love, no matter the circumstances that we happen to find ourselves in. This is also not just a promise for after we die. Too often in the Western church specifically, we have overemphasized what happens after we die, heaven and and the afterlife and all of that stuff. But through Jesus, we have the ability to experience fullness of life now and forever. This is not something we have to wait for. The Bible is filled with stories of people who encountered Jesus and experienced this abundant life that I'm talking about. But I think my favorite is a guy named John. You see, John and his brother James, they were a part of the kind of original 12 apostles. They traveled everywhere with Jesus during the last three years of his life, those kind of three years of public ministry. Now, Peter, along with James and John, formed kind of this inner circle around Jesus. They were his closest friends, his confidants. John sometimes went by the seemingly self-given nickname, the disciple whom Jesus loved. I love that. He's like, look, I get to write a book of the Bible. I'm calling myself the disciple whom Jesus loved, okay? But perhaps even a better translation of that is the disciple beloved by Jesus. The disciple beloved by Jesus. John experienced the love of God in Christ in such a life-changing way that he just cannot stop talking about it. He cannot even identify with anything other than the love of Christ. He's like, John was my old name. The disciple beloved by Jesus is my new one. So dramatically changed by the love of Jesus. He talks about it not just in his account of Jesus' life, that book of John that we have early in the New Testament. He also talks about it in his letters to first century churches. One of these letters, the one we now call 1 John, is where we're going to spend our time together today and at our next in-person gathering here on August 15th. So if you have a Bible or a phone or anything like that, a device, and you want to follow along, you can navigate to 1 John chapter 1. That's where we're going to be most of the time. We're going to be skipping around a little bit, so the verses will also be on the screen behind me. Or if you're watching online, they'll show up on the bottom of your screen. So you can follow along that way too. But if you'd like to follow along in your hand or in a Bible, you can totally do that as well. But before we jump into the text, I want to give you some background on this letter. Primarily because we always, always want to understand the context, culture, and genre behind any part of the Bible that we're looking at. If you've been at Restore for any amount of time, you know we talk about that all the time. Who wrote this? Who were they writing it to? What was happening in this time period? So that's primary reason number one. But also, I want to talk to you about that today because the circumstances surrounding this letter of 1 John are shockingly similar to what we're going through right now in 21st century American Christianity. You see, John, he wrote this letter to a group of churches in modern-day Turkey that he had actually helped start, and he continued to help kind of lead and shepherd from afar, mentoring their pastors, answering questions that they had, things like that. Now, when he writes 1 John, 
these churches are currently being ripped apart by a group of people claiming to be Christians, but denying the truth about Jesus. Claiming to be Christians, but denying the truth about Jesus. You see, they claimed that Jesus wasn't really God in the flesh, and that he didn't really come to bring life to all people. Instead, they took the name of Christ, and they attached it to their own belief systems in order to just give themselves more credibility to build power quicker. The problem was, though, that these belief systems that they attached the name of Christ to in no way reflected the person and work of Jesus. They were totally dissimilar. Or to put it another way, these folks claimed to be followers of Jesus, but their lives looked nothing like his. In fact, John says they actually practiced the opposite of what Jesus stood for. Look, chapter 2, verse 9, John puts it like this. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. So the, the darkness of hate had blinded this group of people to the truth about Jesus. Their lives are completely devoid of love. And here's the thing, y'all. You can't truly follow the God who is love if you aren't loving others. I'm going to say that again because that's important. You cannot truly follow the God who is love if you are not loving others. And throughout this letter, John has very harsh words for this group. He calls them liars and deceivers. He says that they walk in darkness, that they hate their brothers and sisters. He even calls them false prophets and antichrists. He accuses them of preaching a message that is so perverted that it was actually bad news instead of good news. This group was, was preaching hate. They were spreading lies and perverting the good news of Jesus, all while claiming to be Christians. Does that sound familiar to anyone else? But what I love so much, y'all, about this letter is that the overall focus is actually not on those who are perverting the name of Christ, but on those striving to remain faithful. John strongly denounces the, the, the grifters, the liars, but much more so, he encourages those who remain. That's why he begins and ends the letter with the same message. Look at the very first verse. He says, We proclaim to you that the one who existed from the beginning, that is Jesus, whom we have heard and seen, we saw him with our own eyes, we touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. He is life. Now listen to his conclusion five chapters later. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Starts with life in Christ, ends with life in Christ. John begins and ends his letter by saying that Jesus is where true, abundant, and joy-filled life is found. And in that sentence we just read, he says that helping people experience life through Jesus is the whole reason he wrote the letter in the first place. It's actually the same reason that John wrote his account of Jesus' life, the one we talked about a second ago. At the end of it, John chapter 20, he says this. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that's Savior, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have what? Life. That by believing you may have life in his 
name. See, John, this man who had experienced the love of God through Jesus so profoundly that he became calling himself the disciple beloved by Jesus, desperately wants everyone else to experience it too. John wanted Christians then and Christians now to know that even when some people are perverting the name of Jesus and and even when some people's Christianity looks nothing like Christ, Jesus is still God, he is still our Savior, and he is still where life is found. It's like John is saying, where else am I going to go? I've never had love like this. I've never experienced life like this. Where else can I go? I guess I can imagine him saying that because there's actually this other moment in John's life where he and his friends say something remarkably similar. It's found in John's account of Jesus' life. Jesus has just finished teaching that following him is the way to experience fullness of life. And many of the people listening decide to leave. They decide they don't want to do that. They don't want to follow Jesus. They want to go their own way instead. And as they are leaving, Jesus turns to John and the other 12 apostles and says, are you going to leave too? And here's what they say. Lord, to whom would we go? To whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Even in one of the hardest moments of his life, while he watched leaders in some of the churches he helped start preach hate and call it Christian, this was John's answer to why are you still a Christian? Where else am I going to go? Jesus alone has eternal and abundant life. Now, At first glance, this might seem like kind of a selfish reason for John to remain a Christian. But it wasn't just that he had experienced abundant life. It wasn't just that he had experienced love through Jesus. It was that he wanted anyone and everyone else to experience it too. These are the same two reasons that former Methodist pastor, a guy named John Pavlovitz, says that he remains a Christian. There's this blog post from 2017, and in it he wrote, I suppose I still call myself a Christian because Jesus is where I still find life. On the days when those supporting, supposing to represent Christianity, those claiming to speak for Jesus in the world begin spouting their venomous bile against people because of their gender or orientation or skin color or faith tradition, an alarm goes off inside me that screams, this is not of Jesus, and I need you to remind people. This is not of Jesus, and I need you to remind people. He says, I'm not claiming this voice in my head is Jesus, but it is a holy disturbance within me that over the course of my near half century here has experienced what Christianity is, what it can be, and what it should be. I know, I know that holy disturbance feeling pretty well. I've never felt it more intensely than I felt it on January 6th watching television But I've been feeling it a lot lately as well. One of the reasons I've been feeling it lately is a podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Has anybody listened to this? Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. It's the story of this domineering pastor, this guy named Mark Driscoll, and the church he started outside of Seattle called Mars Hill. The church grew rapidly, despite Mark's sexism and and homophobia and severely abusive behavior. And at its height, 
It had 15 locations in four states and almost 15,000 people coming every Sunday. And this podcast is just an exploration of how did a church grow so big, so quickly, and then seemingly shut down overnight when all of this deep, dark stuff was happening, not just under the surface, but out front from the pulpit. In the latest episode, I heard former USA gymnast, survivor, and advocate Rachel Denhollander say it like this. We see a lot of people deconstructing their faith because the God that they've been taught is not a righteous God, is not a holy God, is not a loving or a trustworthy or a safe God. It is not the God of the Bible. And so it should make sense to us that we have so many in this generation deconstructing their faith. They've been given a false gospel and given a false God. See, the Christianity that Mark Driscoll and others like him represent is nothing like the Jesus that we see in Scripture. It is a false gospel. It is a false God. Just like the group John was dealing with 2,000 years ago, they preach hate in the name of our God who calls himself love. But John wasn't just going to roll over. He wasn't just going to walk away. That holy disturbance inside of him moved him to pen one of the most beautiful and important letters in the history of the world. He calls out those peddling a false gospel and calling it Christianity in no uncertain terms. But even more than that, he reminded them and us that Jesus is still God. That despite it all, no matter what people say, he is still Savior and he is still where life is found. It didn't matter how hard it became to be a Christian. John wasn't going anywhere. He refused to surrender the name of Jesus to people intent on perverting it for their own selfish gain. He refused. And so do I. As Rachel said, so many people around us are being given a false gospel and a false God. They are being taught through word and deed that God is not loving, that he is not trustworthy, safe, or good. And it is our responsibility, y'all, it is our responsibility not only to receive the abundant life that Jesus offers, but to share it with anyone and everyone else, and especially with those who have been given this version of Christianity tragically devoid of Christ. That is our job. If you call yourself a Christian in here, if you want to follow Jesus, that is your job. That is your job. It is my job. This is why our mission here at Restore since day one has been to restore faith in Jesus and the church. Day one, that's what we've been trying to do, by God's grace and through his power. Now, I know a lot of you here today, a lot of you watching online are new to Restore, maybe today for the very first time or, or since the pandemic. And I know some of you are still just kind of exploring our church to see if we really are who we say we are. I get it, and that's fair. Some of you are even somewhat hesitantly exploring faith in Jesus because you have been so hurt by the Christianity that you've been exposed to before now. And I'm sorry for that, truly. From the bottom of my heart, I'm sorry for that. It breaks my heart. But please, 
Give Jesus a chance. Don't let some counterfeit version of Christianity keep you from experiencing the life that Jesus offers. I'm not saying that because I want you to come to church here. I'm not saying that because I want you to, to volunteer or give money. Or, I'm saying that because I love you and I have experienced the life that I'm talking about and I want it for you. In the midst of everything else that's going on, in the midst of a world that is so broken and so divided and so struggling, I want you to have that source of life, that joy that transcends circumstance, that peace that goes beyond understanding. I want that for you. So if you are someone who's interested in having your faith restored and helping other people have their faith restored, I think this could be a really great home for you. Not because we're perfect, far from it, but because Jesus is at work here. I have seen him bringing abundant life to people in and through this church family over and over and over again. Like the song that we're going to close with in just a moment says, everyone's welcome. This home is made for you. There's room at the table, a place just for you. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the band to come back up and we're going to sing that together. And the first part of this prayer that I'm about to pray over us actually comes from John's letter that we've been looking at this morning. So I want to invite you just wherever you are to close your eyes and let these words wash over you. It says, dear friends, let us love one another because love comes from God. Whoever loves is a child of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. And God showed his love for us by sending his son into the world so that we might have life through him. God, this is our prayer this morning. That we would experience your love and your life firsthand and in such a powerful way, God, that like John, we couldn't even help having our identity totally changed by it. That we would just overflow to every single person you put in our path with your love and your life and your goodness, your hope and your joy and your grace and your peace. Make that true of us as individuals. Make that true of us as a church family. We love you. Thank you that you loved us first. In Jesus' name we pray.